Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thanks for joining us today in this episode of Informatics Bites, a podcast where we talk with our members about innovation in pharmacy, hot topics in informatics, and new technology. Brought to you by the ASHP section of pharmacy informatics and technology. My name is Dalton Fabian, and today I'll be having a conversation with Pooja Oja, a medication management informaticist at Mayo Clinic, Nick Schutz, a pharmacy informatics specialist at North Memorial Health, and Tammy Buncher, clinical informaticist in patient pharmacy at the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium. We'll be discussing clinical decision support and the pharmacist's role in it, whether they have a clinical focus or are informatics professionals. Thanks for joining us. Today's podcast will familiarize you with the basics of clinical decision support, or CDS, and give you real-world examples before talking more about the roles in CDS for clinical and informatics pharmacists. We'll finish up with ideas on pursuing work in CDS. Let's go ahead and get started. When most people think of CDS, they think of pop-up alerts. Tammy, is that the right way to think about CDS? And can you give us some high-level context of what it is? That's actually a common misconception about CDS. Uh, There's one good definition from healthit.gov, and it states that clinical decision support provides clinicians, staff, patients, or other individuals with knowledge and person-specific information intelligently filtered or presented at appropriate times to enhance health and healthcare. Uh, Basically, what this means is that CDS is not just pop-ups, but it actually encompasses a variety of tools that can enhance and enhance decision-making in the clinical workflow. These tools can include things like computerized alerts, which everyone's familiar with, or reminders to care providers and patients, clinical guidelines, condition-specific order sets, focused patient data reports and summaries, documentation templates, diagnostic support, and contextually relevant reference information, among other tools. Nick, what do you think about this? Thanks, Tammy. Um, A guiding principle of clinical decision support is the five rights or getting the right information to the right person in the right format through the right channel at the right time in the workflow. Uh, Another helpful principle is knowing the different types of alerts like active and passive or interruptive and non-interruptive. I think we'll dig deeper into those in just a moment. Uh, ASHP has a great article discussing these issues. We'll try to get that link in the show notes. Thank you both for that great high-level definition and discussion of CDS. Could you provide the audience with some specific examples of those active or passive, interruptive or non-interruptive CDS in your workplaces? Dalton, I'd be happy to. As Tammy mentioned, when most people think of clinical decision support, they think of pop-up alerts, which are a type of active interruptive alert. Uh, These can include pop-ups for drug interactions, drug allergies, or duplicate therapies. In our system, the most common alert we have warns clinicians about penicillin allergies. Uh, Pop-ups can be effective, but you have to be careful not to overuse them. Pop-ups can contribute heavily to alert fatigue, where clinicians may start ignoring alerts. A good principle to keep in mind is making sure that these alerts are actionable. Pooja, what do you do at your institution? Yeah, good question. So at our institution, we use the something called the clinical monitoring list that helps pharmacists prioritize their patients' needs by providing one screen on the patient list that summarizes things like anticoagulant and 
antibiotic monitoring, and who needs a medication reconciliation completed. The idea with this is to improve efficiency for the pharmacist so that they can see all their follow-up requirements for just one shift on their one screen. This could be considered an example of a non-interruptive active clinical decision support because it is directing pharmacist workflow by limiting the options they have to review. Tammy, what examples do you have? Uh, One example is a robust pneumonia order set that we developed that helps guide guide the clinicians into the right group of antibiotics and therapies for a specific pneumonia case, be it, you know, community acquired, hospital acquired, um, history of pseudomonas, that type of thing. If the provider is simply choosing a pneumonia plan, it's actually passive clinical decision support. But if it was being directed to the provider based on, say, a diagnosis on the chart, then that could actually consider be considered active because it would be a suggested order set. Another example that is considered active but non-interruptive would be something like a sidebar alert that can notify staff of patients that are on chemotherapy or other hazardous medications uh, just to guide them in, in handling bodily fluids and other medications that may be harmful to the clinician. Thank you all for those great examples. So there was a mention previously about making sure that alerts aren't contributing to alert fatigue. Can you each give examples of how you or your organizations have reduced or optimized alerts? Nick, why don't you start us off? Sure, Dalton, thanks. One of these alerts we looked at was an interruptive alert regarding drug-drug interactions between beta blockers and hypoglycemics. Now, if you think back to pharmacy school, you'll remember that the reason we're concerned about this is that beta blockers mask the symptoms of hypoglycemia. But in the inpatient setting, we're not as concerned about this interaction because we're constantly monitoring the glucose levels of patients on hypoglycemics. So when we were taking a look at this alert, we had to weigh the likelihood of this event against the chance of overwhelming clinicians with too many alerts. Another example of a drug interaction we see is between beta blockers and epinephrine. Clinically, this alert makes sense. Epinephrine is a beta, and beta blockers block the betas. Uh, But I have difficulty imagining a scenario where this alert makes sense as a pop-up on ordering. Imagine a patient going into anaphylactic shock. The provider immediately calls for epinephrine, and the nurse stops what they're doing so they can go enter an order for epinephrine in the system. Dr. Provider, the computer says this patient is on a beta blocker, and there's a drug-drug interaction between the epinephrine and beta blockers. Do you still want to give the epinephrine? I would hope we can all agree that the benefit of giving epinephrine always outweighs the risk. Tammy, what have you seen at your organization in terms of optimizing alerts? One of the major things that we've found is that the EHR vendors really tend to globalize alerts because they want to take a cover-all-scenario type of approach, and they want to make sure that they don't miss anything. We really saw this recently when we implemented a new version of a renal dosing alert. We found that with this renal alert, the vendor cast a very wide net and included a lot of drugs that we wouldn't necessarily need to address for renal dosing in the clinical setting. So by addressing some of those drugs and by addressing the fact that the alert kept prompting the providers to get a serum creatinine on every single patient that hadn't had one in the last six months, whether it was clinically relevant or not, we were actually able to reduce the incidence of that alert by 75%. We also evaluated some of the renal dosing groups of medications because they were way overrepresented. 
For example, you can't categorically say that all cephalosporins need to be renally dosed. And additionally, you don't necessarily need a renal dosing alert in the OR setting for narcotic analgesics during that operative period or renal dosing and insulin during an inpatient stay. It just doesn't make sense clinically. Pooja, what about your organization? Yeah, so for us recently, we were able to coordinate with some of the CMS recommendations for venous thromboembolism prophylaxis. At our institution, we found that um, our sites were not receiving any sort of alert or any sort of notification to administer and make sure that they document when VTE prophylaxis was ordered and administered. So we created these provider-facing alerts to assure that providers are documenting when and why an anticoagulant used for VTE prophylaxis was discontinued. And then we also uh, removed the manual hold functionality on all anticoagulants so that whenever a clinician wanted to discontinue an anticoagulant, they also had to document their reasoning. And so they couldn't manually hold that and so they would have to discontinue it. And that aligned with the CMS recommendations for documentation. In this situation, we actually added more alerts as opposed to taking them away uh, to this workflow. So we were able to give providers a more actionable approach to VTE prophylaxis, ordering, and discontinuation. That was great information. Thank you all. Switching gears a bit, when people think of CDS, most people think of pharmacy informaticists. However, Pooja, can we talk about how clinical pharmacists bring value to the CDS development and maintenance process? Sure. Clinical pharmacists are the pharmacists on the front line who routinely are impacted or they see the impact of these alerts that informaticists are creating and publishing in the electronic health record. Uh, Their expertise and perspective really greatly help us in creating CDS. So for example, one of our infectious disease pharmacists would probably better understand the different types of treatment for the different origins of pneumonia than say an informatics pharmacist might because they have that clinical training. Our informatics folks may not have the expertise to guide treatment plans. So really we can rely as informaticists on the expertise of clinical pharmacists to create CDS. And Tammy, what's been your experience with the benefits that a clinical pharmacist brings to the CDS process? Oh, so many of them, actually. Um, One example at my organization is that we have the clinical pharmacy team pre-review all of our standardized order sets, and that allows them to determine if we can suppress duplicate therapy or drug interaction alerts within an order set. The clinical pharmacists really understand the clinical relevance and can help ensure that we're not firing a bunch of unnecessary alerts, especially in cases where, say, duplicate therapy is ordered with intent. For example, it's not really necessary to alert a clinician when they're ordering multiple tapering doses of lorazepam for an alcohol withdrawal protocol. Uh, The clinical pharmacists are also instrumental in reviewing things like dose range checking parameters and other clinical alerts, such as the renal dosing. Now that we heard the clinical pharmacist value in the CDS process, Nick, can you talk about the role of the pharmacy informaticist and the benefits they bring as a translator between clinical and technical staff? Felton, I'd be happy to. One of the benefits that a pharmacy informaticist um, is that they understand the limitations of a system they're working with and can temper or guide expectations. Uh, Let me give you an example. Let's say a clinical team wants to 
an alert to fire for a drug-drug interaction alert, but they only want it to fire for patients over the age of 65. The way that it works for in my organization's electronic health record, drug-drug interactions can't be limited by external factors like age. Um, Non-pharmacy IT people may get hung up on the drug-drug interaction part of the request and say this alert isn't possible, but it is possible to create a custom pop-up alert. Pharmacy informaticists can work with both sides to refine that request to include a custom alert, while also making sure the clinical team knows there might be more maintenance with the custom alert. Tammy, what are your thoughts? I think that the pharmacy and informaticists really help act as a translator, and they can collaborate with the clinical staff to help ensure that the CDS is technically correct and also clinically functional in order to align with the vision and the expectations of the clinical pharmacy staff. To wrap up the podcast today, let's talk a little bit about what pharmacy professionals can do if they are interested in the conversation that we've had today. Tammy, what are some ways that they can get involved in CDS? I think one good way to get involved is to look for opportunities within your own organization to get involved. If your organization has a clinical decision support committee, perhaps you could volunteer to serve on that committee. Another option within your organization would be to participate in some of the research or quality improvement initiatives or volunteering to work with your IT pharmacist to help with testing and validation. Those are ways to get involved within the organization. Nick, can you talk about ways to get involved externally? Sure. Yeah, those are great examples, Tammy. There are opportunities to become involved with CDS at various levels outside of your organization. Uh, These can include residency or vendor-led trainings. Uh, ASHP also has many resources to orient you towards clinical decision support, such as the ASHP Informatics Certificate Program. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the ASHP section of pharmacy, informatics, and technology, which includes a CDS section and advisory group. This has been a great discussion today about clinical decision support, covering what it is, the role of clinical and informatics pharmacists in CDS, and different ways to get involved in the process. That's all the time that we have for our session. I want to thank our guests today, Pooja, Nick, and Tammy, for joining us. And thank you for tuning in to this and for the session of Informatics Bytes. If you haven't before, I encourage you to check out ASHP's informatics resources. You can find member-exclusive offerings in the Informatics Resource Center, including articles, standards and guidelines, as well as practice tools for pharmacy informatics and healthcare technology-related topics. Be sure to follow the ASHP official podcast for more episodes and informatics bites from the section of pharmacy informatics and technology. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.